like really early on that you know if you want someone to trust you then you need to leave yourself vulnerable to them and so yeah i'm a little bit of an open book share people regularly tell me you, you share more information than you need to you're a little bit more um, open about what's going on and stuff than you need to be um that's yeah a legacy from from yeah growing up and, and having to or, or wanting to wanting to establish those relationships quickly that and having to adapt to changing cultures and ways of doing things and everything else fits in perfectly with email this week on inboxing andrew bonar entrepreneur organizer and promoter of the biggest event in email inboxexpo.com And welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. I'm your host, Hillel Berg, and today we have an amazing guest. This guy, Andrew Bonar, has been involved in email since 1994. <laughs> Maybe he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been doing email for a long, long time. He knows a lot about the liberal, but he worked for all, a lot of big brands. And we're really honored that he's here today. And I'll let him tell his story going back uh, almost 30 years. So, without any further ado, please welcome Andrew Bonar. Andrew, welcome Hi. to Inboxing. Hey, hello. Thanks. Um, and the honor is all mine. Thanks for um, inviting me onto the show. It's a real pleasure. For sure, for sure. It's my pleasure is really mine. And I really appreciate you coming. So, without, you know, spending too much time, you know, without any further ado, let's just jump right into it. So, tell us a little bit of your backstory. I know you've been doing email for such a long time. So, how did it all begin? I fell into the internet through for, for personal reasons. Started using the internet for yeah. I had a partner that was that had some medical issues, and the easiest way to, to get the information at the time was via bulletin boards and things. Um, so very very early days of the internet, and from that experience, I, I got connected with a guy called Mick Vates, who was um, well ahead of his time, who was doing um, networks and networking for um, huge enterprise organizations. Dow Getty and PIC, PLC and, and others, and saw an opportunity there to be able to provide internet access to small and medium-sized businesses. So I'd like to think I've always been um, a fight for the little guy. And so it was like, great that, you know, these big enterprises had it, but I was like, you know, that there's lots of people that could make use of this. Um, and at the time I was thinking about printers and, and agencies that were spending a huge amount of money on um, what were ISDN lines at the time is what we used to use to transfer files between offices and things. Um, you would pay a fortune to you know transfer a, a, a five meg file or a fifty meg file even more, um, and we're like, we could do this over the internet via FTP and stuff. And I was like, you know, we could definitely do something here. Um, so you know, we cooked up a ISP of sorts that that people could um, you know there was only one ISP in the UK at the time, Demon Internet. So we had to take internet, we had to take a lease line off them. We provided internet access. And, you know, one of the biggest problems in getting our name out was um, funds. We didn't have money. We weren't in bed, but, you know, it was bootstrapped. So we had a look at what everyone was using at the time. And it was, you know, for email because that was you know, the central thing that was bringing people online. So you, you knew email was important from the very beginning. Um, and we started offering a free email alias service because everyone at the time had these horrible CompuServe addresses. It was um, a string of numbers with a couple of commas in there normally. Um, well, Worse than a phone, uh, CompuServe's logic at the time was people remember phone numbers, so they'll remember these email addresses. We registered uh, pobox.co.uk and started offering people free email aliases, so you could have your name at pobox.co.uk, free for life, and that was trying to work out the year. Now, um, it was definitely preceded, um, you know, Hotmail by 
several years, um, they want a, a real email um, service. It was an email alias service, all the same. Mail was coming. I'm wondering if you can maybe maybe pause your video. Maybe that would help. Yeah, we've totally lost Andrew. Yeah, it was it was getting interesting. Yeah, just hearing about those early days. Think about what it might have been like to be, you know, have an ISP, you know, offering internet service, but not having funds to really get your name out there. It reminded me a lot of IDT. I was living in New York at that time. And IDT had these like homemade commercials. <laughs> I'm Jonah. Yeah, I'm Jonah. I forget his name. Jonah Sonis or something, so well, I don't know, something like that. He was a very interesting guy. He went on to do very well. He ordered IDT. It was like an internet service. I mean, I think at that time, people thought the internet was AOL. You know, if anyone, I don't know who's watching, but if you're watching and you agree about it, you want to talk about this, it's interesting. But I remember those days, you know, we all thought the internet was AOL. Like, our all access to the internet went through AOL. And, you know, we don't understand, like, the the breadth of the internet at all until we stopped using AOL or we just realized you just need an internet connection and then you can go on a browser and connect. Yeah, I'm, and he's back. All right, so without further ado, uh, we're bringing back Andrew Bonar. Andrew, welcome Hi. back to Inboxing. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Sorry about that. I've got everything shut down. I don't even have my notes anymore. So everything's going to have to come from the top of my head now because all right. Yeah, nothing else running. Um, I'll cut that story real short. We um, were bootstrapped, had no money, wanted to get our name out. So our clever idea of getting the name PO Box out was to offer people free email addresses. People had their own email accounts. They were mostly CompuServe accounts, horrible, ugly email addresses, bunch of numbers at CompuServe.com. Um, so we would give them an alias, your name at PO.box.co.uk. Businesses picked it that up really um, pretty quickly so um, people got to know us um, and it was a great way to get the name out there and even though we weren't running the mailboxes at a certain point there was so much mail you know going through our servers basically because you know, it was an alias so we were you know, accepting the mail and then passing it on to the right mailbox that we started filtering and blocking mail basically and, and that was you know it was at that point I had marketers and brands and others reaching out to us and saying, like, you know, why is it that our mail doesn't get delivered when we try and send via PO box? And I was like, well, hey, there's something in this. Um, we, you know, email was always, for me, it was chat rooms. So IRC based on chat rooms and things uh, and, and bulletin boards. So that communication was what drew me into the internet. Um, and a lot of other people at that point in time, that and months and other things. Um, but the email was really where you could see practical uses and could start seeing, okay, that there's potential business uses and things here outside of this social um, part of the internet, which was really what you know drew me to the internet in the first place was, was, was the social elements and the connecting people and things. And so, yeah, so, so that's how I yeah started looking at that. And from there, we were like, well, you know, maybe there's something that we can do here about delivering mail better because there's a whole bunch of things that you guys aren't doing to make it easy for us either. And I'm not even sure if people were talking much around, you know, terms like deliverability or delivery or anything like that. But we started um, an ESP, and I don't think I even called it an ESP at the time. I don't think um, you know that was necessarily a term that we had. Mail Phoenix and Email Genie. And like a lot of um, businesses I started around that time, they got swallowed up pretty quickly by either one of the biggest customers or a competitor in the space or otherwise. And so I've always um, traditionally been really good at coming up with 
you know, an idea that I can bootstrap, that um, I can take to market and get a little bit beyond proof of concept and um, maybe my pricing models and other things a lot of the time have um, stepped on the toes of others and that, you know, they've come in and gone like, you know, great idea, brilliant, but, you know, can we buy this? And you know, I've always had another half a dozen projects I wanted to get my teeth into. So it was never really, you know, an issue to go, okay, well, we'll let this one go. So yeah, that, that was how I got into email initially was, you know, email was always, um, you know, PO Box was the first company that I was um, a co-founder of. It was the first company that I worked in, in terms of the internet. So, you know, email was central to, to everything from the beginning, really. I've tried to get away from it a few times. You know, I went into e-commerce. I started um, one of the first payment gateways in the UK, e-banks, and again, sold it out. But um, no matter what I've done, even, you know, when I took a, a few years away and, and um, worked as a chef in um, Australia and New Zealand, um, great, but I ended up, you know, three or four years later going, yeah, that the life in, in email wasn't actually as hard as I thought it was as much as, um, you know, I was traveling a lot and doing a lot, awful lot of things. But yeah, no, it was a great, great journey all along the way. And um, I love to travel. And um, I suppose I, I, I carved a bit of a niche for myself in um, dealing with regions that other people wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to or, or weren't able to or weren't prepared to. So I did work in Australia and I went out to China and um, yeah, a few other places. Um, I got a bit of a name for establishing relationships outside of maybe, you know, the, the whole North American thing, which most people were focusing on. But yeah, that's how I fell into email. And once email has you, it doesn't let you go really. All right. Thank you for that. So what is the biggest surprise to you about the current state of email marketing? Okay. This is a tough question because... Well, because you know the, the answer that comes from my heart and it's the one that I'm going to give um, isn't necessarily the one that my partners um, in terms of business or sponsors or um, <laughs> and I'm not thinking about anyone specifically, but anyone that I know in the industry is, is necessarily going to be on side with Andrew on this one. And you know, it's, it's certainly not you know something that we like to talk about. But really, I think you know we do need to have a conversation around tracking. I think we're being a little bit flippant around, well, you know, um, there's so much tracking going on online and there's so much happening and emails, you know, the, the bottom of the barrel is, is really not that important in the bigger scheme of things. If we're focusing on email and talking about email and talking about our community, the, the standard being, hey, compare that to, you know, the retracking pixels or something that, you know, Facebook's running. Um, that shouldn't be the standard we hold ourselves to. <clears throat> so I think there's some, you know, some questions around that. Um, and I went to double check because we had this conversation, you know, the other day when I started my ESP. We used to have, if you were an enterprise client, we were able to give you an awful lot of um, information um, based on our tracking pixels, um, and, and you know that went beyond just screen resolution and what operating system you were running. There was quite a lot of information that Microsoft, in particular, was prepared to give back to you as a result of, um, you know, asking for a, a web beacon from you. But even today, you know, you, you, you can see um, screen resolutions, you can see all sorts of things. I haven't checked whether or not, you know, you can go for a full device finger, probably not via an email, but there's a lot that you can do in the tracking stuff and, and we don't talk about it very much. And just because, you know, if you go to MailChimp or whoever, they're only giving you opens and clicks, um, that isn't necessarily just the level of data that you know, enterprises might be accessing. And then when you look at things like Litmus, and I love the product, don't get me wrong, um, and I've re recommended it to, to clients, um, don't get me wrong either. You know, I, you know, someone who's wanting to do a good email marketing program, I'm like, you know, 
get something like litmus get something like email and asset that's going to tell you what people are using to you know access your emails so that you can work out whether or not it's worth investing whether it's a day or a week or a month of time in, in optimizing for iphone let's find out if anyone's actually using iphone but at the same time you know i my, my own personal um, feelings on all things around the internet. You know, I'm, I'm very pro the privacy aspects and very pro, you know, the, the ability to, to a certain extent to have anonymity on, on, on the internet and stuff. Um, so I think that conversation needs to be had. I'm not saying necessarily, hey, Com have um, approached it the right way, um, but we shouldn't have been caught with our pants down. I think we have this, this year. So BBC in the UK did a big article. Um, I think the headline was, tracking an email is endemic or, or something like that. And, and you know, for the conversation to have been driven by Hey.com and, you know, and, and BBC to cover it the way they did, that was because, you know, we were prepared to look the other way, look the other way and ne- never really address it. So my hats, hats go off to, you know, a few ESPs and, and there aren't many. Um, one that comes to mind is based in Ireland in the EU, Sender Pro. So Sender Pro, you know, was one of the first that I know that reached out to me and said, hey, you know, uh, that stuff that you're sometimes tweeting about, um, you know, I haven't been that vocal about it, around privacy tracking and privacy pixels and, and, and the rest of it within emails. We actually have that as an option that our customers can turn that on and off. Um, okay, and, uh, that's a step. You should, you know, should at least make, make that a, an option or at least be a little bit more explicit with the users and, and the rest of it. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I'm just surprised that we didn't tackle that earlier. So that's... For me, surprising, but maybe not the most interesting thing for Yeah, no, it's very interesting because you're actually the very first person, you know, this is episode eight. We've talked about a lot of things, but this has never come up. And it's definitely an issue, you know, that's close to a lot of people's hearts about the amount of information you could pull from someone clicking it open on an email. So I'm glad you brought it up because, I, yeah, even to me, I never really thought about it as like invasion of privacy, but... Especially when you consider how much data, big data, you know, you can collect so much data from Facebook and everything. Like, they know your email address. They can tie it to everything. Like, they know everything about you. Yeah. And I, I think people <laughs> are shocked. And I'm like, no, in all my clients, images are off. I don't see images. I don't view images. And it's very rare that I'll turn around and say, turn images on. And I know I'm a small subset of people, but when, when people start to, People start to, to read articles like that. It won't be you know, long before there, there's a great number of people doing that. Yeah, just um, I, th- I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad or has to go away or has to die completely. But yeah, it's a conversation that should be had. And um, if, if we address things internally as an industry, then we're not going to have external forces legislating because the legislation comes around. We allow bad habits to become, well, bad practices to become bad habits. Right, right. And it's interesting. I think you can sort of drive, you're in a unique position. We'll get to why, but because you run conferences, like you could set up a session about this topic. Like, yeah, this so is what we want to talk about. <laughs> we're doing, yeah, we're moving more towards trying to have the conversation. So, you know, it's only our second year um, doing conferences and email and as email expert. So, yeah, we're moving towards more having the kind of conversations we'd like, that I would have liked to have heard when I was going through the industry. Um, so, you know, the type of um, content that I would have liked to have been able to refer my clients to, I'm trying to get that 
um, up on stage so that other people have content to refer to. So things like the Spam House um, Change.org case study where Spam House blocklisted Change.org very, very recently. So the founder of Spam House and the head of deliverability for Change.org will be on stage talking about how they got listed, why they got listed, why it was a good thing for Change.org and why um, you know going through that process meant their email program is much healthier, much stronger for it today. But, you know, I've, I've had um, so many conversations with um, you know, the C-suite at Marcom companies or marketers, you know, and, and you know, Spam House and, and, and Serbal and, and all of those block lists, those are the enemy. And, you know, can we sue them? Can we shut them down? Can we, you know, all kinds of conspiracy theories and everything else. And I've always said, like, you know, they are our best friend. <laughs> the um, <laughs> block lists are why we have a job. And the reason why we're able to do email marketing is because they exist. And if anything you're asking me is like, how do we make a donation to them so they can do it better? Because otherwise, you know, mailboxes are, you know, are finished. And I've never seen, you know, anyone brand side that was prepared to put themselves forward and say, you know, we, we, we've been blocked. This is what happened. We messed up because, you know, spam house don't block anyone by mistake. And in, in my, my experience, um, in my experience, spam house <laughs> Or, you know, there's been occasions where there's been problems with the returns, the SPL codes, they've returned away for a couple of hours, but that's, you know, everyone impacted. And, and, you know, it's not, but, you know, if you've particularly been listed, um, if it is an error, then it gets sorted out pretty quickly. And, and yeah, in my experience, it's, um, yeah, the market has done something that needs to change. So, yes, yeah, so I've, I've never had, you know, someone be able to, or I've never had someone that I could point to, you know, have a look at this webinar or have a look at this case study or have a look at this document has only been, you know, this is my assertion, this is what I believe, um, and it's great, but it's always just one person's opinion. So it's really nice to have, um, yeah, Alice Cornell and Simon Forster. So Alice Cornell from Change.org and Simon Forster, who's the CEO and founder of Spam House, actually coming on stage to do this. And, and that session we're actually going to release under copy left or something similar. So that's going to be free for the community. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we need to pay bills, um, but at the same time, some of the stuff that we're producing isn't something that should be restricted to paying delegates or have you. So, yeah, interested in trying to move things forward. You know, that's that's really where I'm at now is, you know, okay, maybe some people are like, Andrew, you shouldn't have said that about, you know, tracking pixels. Or <laughs> why did you say that about Bimmy? Um, because I think, you know, someone saying it means it might change in the right direction. And I think that's, you know, good for all of us, even if it's, yeah, painful process on the way. Okay. I'm just interested because you just mentioned Bimmy, and I think it's been coming up a lot lately as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do you yeah, see no, the dark side of it? There really is no dark side to Bimmy. Um, <laughs> okay. But, uh, people, Can you just um, explain what it is for the listeners? You know, like... Sure. So um, at the moment, if you um, authenticate your mail properly, if you put DMARC in place and actually put a... Um, so, so DMARC is a domain... Authentication? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's an authentication method. So it essentially enables receivers to check with you whether or not you are expecting a specific mail server to be sending mail. So, you know, is this mail really from Brand X? And it's a, it's a way of um, cross-checking with Brand X whether that, that's the case. And then if not, you know, mail that Brand X has said, you know, we're sending, um, Brand X can request the receiver treat it in a certain way, including rejecting it or quarantining it by putting it in spam. So it gives you as a brand some extra, an extra layer of control as to how um, receivers treat mail that might not be coming from you. So it's a great way of securing um, your mail streams. 
Um, and Vimy is, you know, the next level up from that. If you get your DMARC right and you get your authentication right, you know, the way I see it is it's a little gold badge from specific mailbox providers, and there's not many of them at the moment. It's just, you know, it's AOL, Verizon, Yahoo that have it at the moment, and Gmail in pilot. Um, but more and more will undoubtedly take it on board. And then what happens is next to your sender from name, you get your logo showing. And so the downside of the, of the Bimmy that, you know, some people are, there's a, there's a discussion around the costs involved in Bimmy and how accessible it might be. So the current, and it's all in pilot. So, you know, you, you can't make judgments based on what's happening in pilot because they haven't said what's happening, you know, what really will happen in two months or three months. Um, so I'm expecting lots of changes. Um, but there was a time where it was looking like it might be very expensive to get a VMC, which is, the other element to be to the BIMI, which is so BIMI is brand identified marker, and, and the VMC is your verified mark certificate, which would allow you in the pilot program to have your logo displayed in Gmail. Now, the VMC requires a payment to a third party to actually process the licensing. Um, also requires you that they will require you to have some way of proving that this logo that you want to display is yours. Um, and it looks like that's going to be via the U.S. Patent Office having a, a trademark logo there. So great maybe for U.S. businesses, North American businesses, an, an extra hurdle for anyone outside of North America potentially. But, you know, this is the pilot program and probably everyone in the pilot is in North America. So we don't know what they're doing next. But certainly there was a lot of you know, six months ago and four months ago and three months ago, there was a lot of high prices being quoted, or at least I had rumors of high prices being quoted for the VMC. But the last conversations I had, and literally this week, you know, it was pushing into the five figures, but barely, barely pushing into five figures for getting into the VMC, which, which seems much more reasonable. But, you know, th this isn't the Bimmy project. You know, you have to separate the Bimmy project, which, which is doing this brand identifier. There's this brand identifying uh, mark and, you know, conversations with Matt recently, who's, who's on the committee and stuff. Sounds like they've got much bigger plans for this than just email. Yeah. So this being a way of any brand having a central resource. Okay, this is our official logo, and you know, potentially Twitter could pull it in, Facebook could pull it in, your web pages could pull it in because this is you know a central resource for. This is definitely the logo that belongs to this organization. So, so that that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, no dark side to Bimmy, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> okay. An awful lot of um, rumors and, yeah, you know, half-truths because nobody really knows the, the, the truth of it. And those that do know are, you know, on the committees and, and they're not able to disclose, you know, what, what hasn't been fully decided yet. So, yeah. But, yeah, I've got high hopes for me being – I have high hopes for them working out something that means, you know, small and medium-sized businesses will maybe – medium-sized businesses will be able to you know, get their BIMI logos accredited. So uh, you know, the, the whole idea is just trying to get um, companies to send mail better, to authenticate better, and then give them something at the end of it. That, that's how I see it, because really that's all it is. It's, it's a shiny logo inside the mailbox, but marketers can love that. And if you, know, if you, you can get marketing to push on something, it's an awful lot easier than other departments to, to make changes. So, you know, IT turning around and saying, you know, we should invest time and money to authenticate our mail better probably isn't going to have as much of why. Um, and how does it help us? No, it doesn't help us. It helps the receivers. 
yeah, what the, the, you know, when marketing turns around and says, no, 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 we're going to have a, a marketing win here, then there's more likelihood to have budget and time. So, and, you know, this is just my take on it, that, you know, some brilliant geeks sat back and went, okay, how the hell do we get marketers to do things properly? Shiny batch, shiny batch. Um, <laughs> in my opinion, it's brilliant. That's probably, a, a, or it's definitely an oversimplification. Um, and the guys on the Vimy project would probably hand me for saying so. But from, from my <laughs> perspective, the shiny badge to make brands send better mail and do things better was a, a sheer piece of um, yeah, brilliance. Okay. All right. Let's go back a little bit. So growing up, uh, you mentioned you moved around a lot. So how did that you know, inform on your career and help you get to where you are now? Yeah, I was born in the Middle East. Um, dragged around um, the Middle East a fair bit and then across Europe and stuff. So, I, I, I mean, it really upset me the first time I, you know, I remember the first time I was dragged out of school and told, you know, um, dragged out of school, melodramatic. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> get home from school and being told, you, you know, you're not going back next term and we're moving to a new country and you might have to learn a new language. Um, it really upset me the first time. It really, really upset me and leaving. And when I got to... Um, you know, wherever was the next on the, on the trip, I didn't make friends. And, I, you know, I was just like, well, no, I'm not going to go through that again. That, that was awful. How long are we going to be here? And it wasn't long before my um, dad were like, no, we're moving again. So by the time, you know, I think by the time I got to Cyprus, I was like, look, this is crazy. I just need to, yeah, make friends. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just going to be this um, loner. So I realized that I'm not going to be around for long. So like, oh, we're in Cyprus, but it's only going to be for like 18 months or something. And I was like, well, I need to make that good buddies real fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just like, leave yourself exposed, um, try and earn trust. And, you know, I learned really early on that, you know, if you want someone to trust you, then you need to leave yourself vulnerable to them. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit of an open book, share. People regularly tell me you, you share more information than you need to. You're a little bit more um, open about what's going on and stuff than you need to be. Um, that's, yeah, a Legacy from from yeah, growing up and, and having to or, or wanting to wanting to establish those relationships quickly, that and having to adapt to changing cultures and ways of doing things and everything else fits in perfectly with email. Nothing's the same every day in email, and I suppose I, I leveraged that for you know going well. I'm not scared to go to China. Um, you know that was something that was really exciting for me. Whereas everyone else in the company was just like, seriously, Andrew, seriously. <laughs> We want to go to, you know, if, if we want to be in China, someone needs to go to China, right? So, yeah, so, so you know, I was perfectly, um, I was excited by, you know, a three-week trip out there. And, and yeah, so, so I think um, being sensitive to cultural and um, just other ways of doing things, and because, you know, I, I went from liberal Middle Eastern countries to, less liberal to, to to European to London which was a huge culture shock for me at 11 like I was just like whoa what is all this about and, and London I think you know taught me a lot as well so that was into the thick of an urban big city when you know that was nothing that I'd been used to and 11 years old in the rough and tumble of Brixton it was like okay you need to have your wits about you and, and yeah, make some real good friends real, real good, real quick. And so, yeah, so, so those are lessons that I, you know, applied to email. I, I try and be sensitive to you know, where people are coming from, what their backgrounds might be and treat people as people. And, and sometimes my conversations waffle a little bit with clients and partners and everyone else because I really think it's important to get to know who they are before 
we do anything else. But that you know pays well, pays dividends for me, and more than anything, you know, email. Yeah, email's international, and so the the part of email that I work with is very international, as opposed to focusing um, locally. And so, yeah, that's that's served me in good stead there, I suppose. Um, yeah, not worried about going on stage in Russia or China or Israel, wherever it might be. All right, that definitely was informative. All right, moving back to PO Box. So, yeah, you told us about you know how you're collecting email addresses, and that really got you your first start there. So, where did that take you? Like, why did you come out with I, that? I, I um. I know I wrote an answer for you here, but you know when I've read the question there like that, it's you know come back to me that no, actually everything that I learned, I learned at Peerbox, and this is probably more important for anyone listening that wants to get into anything, 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 because Mick Bates was um, brilliant, absolute disaster at human interaction, um, but as a, a as a person, as a brain, Mick Bates is absolutely brilliant, and he basically sat me down and was like, you know, there's not much that you need to know. Um, because if you know these basics, then you know everything. And and I never really, yeah, haven't reflected on that. DNS, domain name system, and how that works, absolutely essential. You know, as soon as you can understand domain names and IPs and how all that works, um, you know, that is the fundamental building block of the internet. And and understanding that will always um, pay you dividends. And in email, you know, when it comes to BIMI or DMARC or SPF or anything. All those are, are little records in the um, DNS system. So understand the DNS and, and you're flying. If you understand the fundamentals of the DNS, and when it comes to adding a record, whether it's SPF or any of the other authentication records, you're, you're you know, miles ahead of um, where you need to be. The other thing was, uh, and, and you know, this might scare people, but it was Unix for Dummies. So he got me a copy of Unix for Dummies and said, you need to understand it. And Unix for Dummies, it's... Not that far from, you know, I suppose, maybe some of the listeners wouldn't have had the spectrum. I had a ZX spectrum, you know, that, that was, was given to me to, to learn. It wasn't that far from the programming there. Unix is really obvious. I mean, if you can get the basics of that, then HTML and everything else. And you don't need to be a coder, but just to mm-hmm. you know, be able to look at that and go, okay, I understand what, what's happening there. That was the other thing that he did. And beyond that, you know, Mick talks about the future of the internet and what do I wish more than anything was that I had absolute confidence in. Because he used to talk about the high street network. So he used to tell me that, you know, more shopping was going to be done by the internet than was going to be done on the high street. And he's like, it's going to be it's the high street network. Really, the internet is going to come into its own when we have the high street network. He kept talking about the online high street network, the online high street network. And I was just like, how is it going to work? It's like, you can have stores, you can go in there, you're going to buy stuff. Um, um, that is not going to end. He's like, you are, your milk, your eggs, your fruit. And I was like, what are you talking about here? And then he was like, your clothes, Andrew, everything is going to be... This was 1995, 1996. Right, it wasn't like imaginable. Like, yeah. like you're going to have businesses doing business on the internet. I can see how that's going to work. I can see how this is going to work. And I was all about, let's get this. So we had chat.org.uk. Let's get this chat room up. And we, you know, charge people $3 a, a year to be able to chat to their friends in, in whichever communities they want and things. He's like, yeah, yeah cool idea. It's, it's not serious. And he kept talking about the high street network. And that's how we ended up with eBanks. So if anything, it would be to listen to those. People that seem, you know, if you know someone's really, really smart um, and they're telling you something that just doesn't seem to make sense, but you know in your heart of hearts that they are super smart, maybe listen to them 
a little bit more and pay a bit more attention because um, yeah, <laughs> just be super seriously ahead of their time. So yeah, I probably missed a couple of things there. And now, yeah, I spend a little bit more time listening to that. There's lots of smart people around you and, and, and people aren't necessarily giving them as much time as, as they might do because they don't necessarily express themselves brilliantly. And, and, you know, that that's what, you know, another thing about Mickey, you know, he wasn't a social person. He wasn't, wasn't someone that I could take to meetings to meet the clients but you know without him th there was nothing so yeah pay attention to, to the people around you they might be yeah holding some diamonds for you <laughs> all right that's a it's a good life lesson I think but yeah the, um, the, the main thing is for key learnings would be yeah to make sure you know the basics of the internet the DNS how it works yeah the, just the fundamentals are, is really important um, and then if you know if if Email is important to you, then just you know understand the protocols, SMTP, POP3, IMAP. Just there isn't that many of them. Um, and I'm not saying you have to go off and read all the RFCs and, and understand them back to front. But yeah, remember there are RFCs and understand that you know these rules aren't made up by company, that they, they, they didn't come out of thin air, but understand the process that you know this is why email is the way it is. Um, so when you turn around and say email's broken and you know this needs to change, do you understand the process? Of, of where we got to to have you know this universal ubiquitous system on the internet that you know it is pretty much unbreakable um it's not facebook it's not twitter nobody else owns it you own your channel um you know there was a lot that took took us to get to that point and there's um yeah a huge process and there's huge organizations that actually you know, invest a lot of time and volunteers that, that you know invest a lot of time and effort in, in getting there and understanding those processes and understanding you know, just the fact that there's RFCs um, and how that applies to the internet and also email is, is um, I think, fundamental to, yeah, being able to go above the uh, day-to-day of how do I, you know, get the most return from the next email and stuff is, is how does this work? Because then you understand the limitations of, of the channel that you're working in and why those limitations exist as well. And thank you. Yeah, so where that? I mean, I think you kind of covered this before, but you know, where did you go from there? Was that like the startup era? Are you just starting um, company? Yeah, so there's a lot of startups. <laughs> we had the dot com, the, 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 the bubble burst. The bubble burst for me in a pretty, you know, pretty dramatic way. So I, we were actually closing on the sale of eBanks that day. The day I think it was Boo.com, and then three others crashed. So we were there in the offices. There was the Europeans, there was the lines open to the Japanese investors um, and the North American investors, and we could hear what was going on in the conference room next door, didn't know what was going on, and then, yeah, Mick passed me his Nokia, with, yeah, these, um, these text updates and stuff, and he's like, it's not looking good, um, and yeah, things just started crashing, and uh, yeah, they, they called us in, and it was like, okay, the Japanese are pulled, um, and then half an hour, the Americans are pulled. Um, and the deal that was worth millions the day before was just like having noughts taken off it, like by the minute. It was just like, what do we get right now? And it was just like, you know, a bunch of shares and a payout. And we're like, let's just take it now. And we took that. And yeah, I think if we'd hung out for another hour, then there would have been yeah, no, no noughts left on the check that we got. So I, I was pretty annoyed because we could see it all happening and we weren't overvalued and, and you know it wasn't crazy what we were doing was, was fantastic so we had an e-payment gateway where we weren't charging a percentage um and we're in what 2021 now and there still isn't a payment gateway that's offering that um so we offered well, how are you able to do that you know if the whole world is anyone, doing could do it. anyone could do it and they could do it today if they wanted to and if paypal wanted to do it they could do it and um i don't care 
any of those guys wanted to do it, they could do it. It's very, very simple. So if you understand in a store, you get the machine from the bank and therefore you're only paying the bank percentage fee. Yep. So if you go into Debenhams or Marks and Spencers or wherever it might be that you do your shopping, swipe your card, that machine's tied directly to the bank. As an e-commerce provider, you do the same thing. You take a lease line to the bank and you're no longer paying for a phone call or for a connection charge. And the bank is charging you, I don't know today, they were charging a flat rate. If you wanted to take a permanent connection for um, transferring your things, they were charging a flat rate. So you had a fixed cost. You also knew you know, what the maximum number of transactions you'd be able to push through you know, a single line was. Um, and you could therefore work out what the base cost um, was for running. So we were charging a monthly service fee, which covered our costs. Um, so the monthly service fee from the customers meant that you know we, we were running at zero costs and then charging one cent a transaction just seemed like as much as we could possibly charge considering that one cent was pure profit. Um, and so you know, we said we didn't care whether the basket was $100 or $1,000. What we were really annoyed about um, and what we were really, really trying to achieve wasn't, you know, let's disrupt the market and not charge a percentage. That wasn't the aim. What we were trying to get to was micropayments. That was what we really wanted to get to. We wanted to get to micropayments so that, you know, you could pay one hundredth of a cent for being a web page. And that's where we wanted to get to. But it was yeah, way too early um, for, for talking about micropayments and fractions of a penny and stuff. But that was what was driving us. And always, you know, CheapNet was the other ESP that we launched, uh, sorry, ISP that we launched. So um, at the time, people were told they couldn't have a quality service of internet for less than, it's called TAM, 10 or a month. So it was 10 pounds a month. Um, and anything less than that, I think it was um, someone from one of the associations, maybe the Internet Association in the UK or something, actually went on stage and said, you know, it's not technically possible to deliver quality service for less than £10 a month. And that was just like a red rag to a bull to Mick. And he was like, we need to be doing it at four. And I was like, not five. And he was like, no, four. It needs to be less than half the price. Um, and that was just his mission. So he'd, he'd get things like that. And, you know, ISPs at the time were rated by .NET Magazine. And we were, yeah, top three consistently for, you know, the three years that we were operating and at less than 50% of the cost. So cutting prices has always been yeah, another thing that we like to do. But, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't come at no cost. So we didn't offer support. So, you know, you, you don't get the support. Um, and we were very open about that. Go to AOL, learn how to use the internet, get up to speed. And then when you want the real internet, um, give us a call and we can give you, yeah, we can give you access. So, um, yeah, went, went all around the houses and then ended up at Email Vision. So I was doing um, consultancy for, for a while for a lot of brands, brands that I liked. Um, so I was working um, all over the place, um, you know, brand in Australia, brand in London, and got a little bit of a name for myself because around that time was probably when I started hearing the term deliverability. And I was like, and, and people were also telling me because I, I had my hand in so many things, e-commerce, web development, you know, uh, converting, um, taking businesses from offline to online. Also the email, people were like, you need to niche, you need your niche, you need your niche, Andrew. you need your niche, otherwise, you know, you're just a jack of all trades. So I went off and I was like, okay, deliverability is my niche. And people were just like, and this is the internet people, and I was just like, what is that? And I was like, oh, sorry, it's email, but you know, it's this, this, this final mile component. And they were like, when we said niche, you could have just gone with email. And I was like, well, no, you said niche. So I'm like, you know, niche, it's deliverability. And I remember, um, yeah, looking on LinkedIn, I think there was less than 
20 people that maybe had deliverability anywhere in their description. It was just like you could search deliverability and get everyone. And yeah, there was people like um, Al, there was lots of people at the time that, that were definitely um, firmly in the deliverability space. And, and yeah, I followed them and was like, okay, well, that's, that's my thing. But yeah, I, was, I suppose I was doing delivery and deliverability and wasn't calling it deliverability. And, and yeah, then, then I started doing deliverability. And once I did that, that niche advice, probably also great advice for anyone listening is, you know, find your niche and, and find what you love and, and, and do it for as long as you know, it's right for you. I changed and we can talk, talk about that in a bit. But yes, deliverability and that, that's when Email Vision, I think, um, started to notice me and, and asked me whether it was, you know, I'd, I'd join them. Um, yeah, so I was asking, you know, what did the tech landscape look back then? And when is back then? What year are we talking about now? When I started, we had Alta Vista. I remember that. So that was our search engine. Um, well, you know, that, that was the first search engine that I remember that we started using. And before that, you just need to know where you were going. And yes, yeah, so I, 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 you know, in my, in my head, it was pre-Google post Google and, and now there's, yeah, I suppose something else that's, that's going to be coming. Yeah. Facebook, no, Facebook didn't even really, um, register didn't exist. Uh, right. I think we're probably talking about like 2000, 2003, something yeah. like that. So yeah, it was, um, before Google. Um, so, you know, Microsoft was the bad guy. Everyone hated Microsoft and it was like, <laughs> how can we do things not using, um, Microsoft and it, and it was, um, it wasn't hard because, um, yeah. ASP was awful. Pure HTML and CGI was definitely the way to go if you wanted to do, like Pearl was, was, was definitely the way to go if you wanted to do anything um, fun. Um, there, there was more available in some ways to marketers than there is today in terms of tracking and stuff because there was no knowledge or anything about privacy and stuff. The, the, there was, um, you know, it was, it was a lot more left or right um it, it was um black or white there was no in between in terms of, of your mail being delivered it was very knee-jerk type reactions and so yeah word filters and, and that type of thing were much much more important in, in other ways i think it was a lot more exciting um and, and there was a lot of things that was you know super interesting to me at the time because there was none of the awareness around security there was none of the awareness around privacy and the other thing it wasn't uncommon to get to a site and be told like you know you're gonna have to wait 40 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it was for the flash or the macromedia or whatever it was to load. Um, and, it, you know, websites weren't the same. You know, there wasn't 15 types of formats. You know, there, there was very, very different things going on. Yeah, I remember people like Digit were doing things which were just like really weird to me at the time because it wasn't a standard, you know, navigation interface. It was this 3D thing where you'd have to drag something on the screen. This was, yeah years and years ago and he was like this is going to be the future because you're not going to have to download the macromedia everyone's going to have it on their, their computer and things and some of that's um gone away and i understand why you know for accessibility reasons and all the rest of it um but some of those but the, the maverick early days um and you know the ability to, to launch something and, and get it out there with no budget yeah it's, it's a little bit harder today and it's not so much of a flat playing field, I don't think. Um, the opportunities are still there, and um, maybe I'm just getting older. And, um, <laughs> the younger generation. For sure, it's always, you're right. I also kind of always feel like, the, like, oh, that was a missed opportunity. But if you, there's always opportunities. And yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And yeah, but I think, you know, my days of starting up, you know, something amazing and new and being the first to market, I, I would, 
think I've put those behind me, but you know, first to market and, and, and you know, the first um, payment provider, the first email, free email mm-hmm. service, the first this, the first that, that was easy, you know, to be the first. And, and now, well, you just need to go out there and try and be the best. Right. Now it's really about, you know, reinventing things that already exist. And, and I'm right. sure there's new things coming, but you know, I'm not. Yeah. I mean, look what's happened in the last year because like, of Corona. Like now, you know, virtual conferencing has become a huge thing. I mean, you, yeah. you, you're, you're the first to do that probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, by chance. Right, well, first in um, email to be doing a virtual conference. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was by chance and um, poor timing or good timing or however you want to. Right. Yeah. Well, that leads us nicely to the next question. So yeah, how did you end up starting to make conferences, you know, with email expert and all that so before that, even before that, the first time I ever had anything to do with a conference was, um, 2004. And my dad was based there in Russia and he had the MR, the, the marketing Russia awards and the Moscow advertising balls. That was, you know, a huge affair, but I wasn't hands-on. I wasn't there on, on the ground in Moscow. I was um, basically the, the European contact. I was yeah, liaising with um, sponsors mostly and, yeah, organizing um, some of the international speakers and that type of thing for the award ceremony and event. But that was pretty much it. And then I wanted to launch Email Expert, um, I don't know, I think maybe 12 years ago. And there's a gentleman called Fred Tapsharani who used to be the head of Power MTA or the, sorry, the public face of Power MTA, which is now a spot post product. Um, but at the time it was their own product, it was Power MTA, and he was the industry industry relations for that um, product. And he was like, hey, you know, this blog that you're launching sounds really good and stuff. And what you want to do is have like a little event off that to try and get people in the industry interested in what you're doing in your blog and stuff. And he was like, we, we, you know, we'd be happy to give you a few hundred bucks to pay for the drinks for, for that to happen. Um, and so, yeah, we, we held our first networking event, you know, off the back of launching, to launch Email Expert. And that was um, around the same time as the DMA had a conference. And we just basically did this, it was a bit cheeky. <laughs> they had this conference and then we basically said, look, there's this um, VIP after event cocktail drinks that we're inviting like 50 industry people to. And, and it was very well attended. And yeah, so, so that was how we got email expert off the ground the first time. And then every time we've tried to make another push with email expert over the years, it's always been like some kind of small event. So we did um, an event in Sydney with digital uh, and alchemy works, maybe 70 or 80 people, but that wasn't a conference. It's always been networking events. We did another one at the presidential suite in um, the W in New York. That was a really cool party for Valentine's day, the day before Valentine's. So traditionally, Email Expert um, launched officially on February the 14th for the love of email and the rest of it. So yes, yeah, so we've done those and then we wanted to, we were doing Email Expert this time properly. So we've got a new, um, or it's 10 years to find the right co-founder. Um, so the longest startup in history, the longest um, startup story in history, um, it was registered as a .org, um, never registered as a business. And yeah, found my wife and co-founder because yeah, she had similar interests and had complementary skills to me. We were at um, several events in the US um, and Europe where we felt things had been messed up a little bit, and we're like, we could do this better one day. One day we could do this better. 
And there's a lovely couple, I'm not naming them, run one of the biggest, most lavish email conferences. They were in their 60s at the time, 10 years ago. Um, I don't know if they still attend the events that they organize, um, but they're brilliant. And we looked at them and we were like, they have a nice life. Like one day, we'd like to be doing these like, you know, events because they spent three months of the year going and finding the next location and then organizing this huge event around it. And we're like, and, and they have a nice life. And one day, not in the too distant future, those two are going to be retiring and maybe that's something that we can do. So yeah, that, that crossed our mind. And then, yeah, we decided to do emailexpert.com properly. We registered the business. Um, the, Nelly is the managing director. She, uh, so we registered in the UK in 2019. We got the support of Spark Post and NetCorp, Pepper Post at the time. They both wrote six-figure checks, five-figure checks, um, big check based on an idea, a concept, and nothing else. So, you know, eternally grateful to the, those guys for doing that. And we were like, hey, we need to do this properly. Um, we need to do like a proper event in this time, a conference, not just like a social gathering. Um, and it was supposed to only be, I think we had planned five hours to be held at my brother's venue, because my brother has a venue in South London. And that was all we started with. And then there was a couple of speakers that said, look, we'd love to speak for you, but there's no chance we're going to go and talk in East Croydon. Uh, so if you can find yourself a central London location, um, we'd be happy to do that. So it grew from there, and then we ended up having like, this fabulous location by the Shard in London, um, fabulous art gallery for the after event. Um, yeah, so, so everything was um, all on for March 2020, um, and we had 75 speakers flying into London. Uh, and one of the ideas that we had really early on in probably December was, hey, not everyone can, you know, rock up to London and, you know, we cut and, and, and in reality, we couldn't afford to pay the deposit on any kind of venue that was going to hold more than 250 people. So, you know, we need to pay the deposits on that. We need to pay the deposits on the catering, the food, everything else. And we're like, we can't, you know, um, great speakers, probably, maybe 500 people would show up for this. But in all honesty, you know, we can't afford to risk more than this. But we can't afford to risk more than everything. <laughs> and then it's 200 people that's it um, the, 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 there is no more so that's what we did and we were like well maybe we could get people to join us online and maybe we could sell some tickets online um, and that's how we discovered Hopin which is you know, this online events or hybrid events platform and they were very very new they'd only you know, launched or registered their business a few months before us at the time and you know watching Johnny and their, their, their just had stratospheric growth to think we both started in London really, really similar. And they decided to go after VC money. And I was like, no, we don't want VC money. Um, they're valued at two billion now. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, got to know the team at Hopin and they had this like amazing online events platform. So we were just incredibly lucky basically to, to have the right people. The the right people to um, you know, uh, maybe this is a cool idea. Let's get a Hopin license. And for then, you know, when COVID happened, COVID was obvious and we, we, we knew we had to cancel the event. It wasn't that hard because we already had planned to do everything online anyway. And now we just need to circle back with the speakers and find out which ones were still prepared to do it, but to do it online. And it was a very novel idea at the time. You know, nobody had been doing it. So they were like, well, why not? And, and yeah, it worked. And we got a lot of positive feedback and people were like, you're going to do it again? And we were like, yeah, but properly next time and COVID continued um, and the story unraveled and we were like okay let's do that. people asked us to do 
more events we were we did the canadian email summit so the canadian email summit said look you know we want to have this online again you've already done it online to be able to you know support us in this so we help them with that and then you know others commissioned us to do deliverability summit and other events for ourselves but with them as sponsors so yeah we, we um, continue to do it and yeah I, I think leading into your next question you know why yeah that, oh, that was like that was the same question no uh, oh. no well what question no, are you thinking uh, of? yeah so no so um so, so i was thinking <laughs> Oh, I think maybe we're talking about, you wanted to talk maybe about this. Oh, we can do that too, though. Yeah, it was just <laughs> like, I've understood that, you know, at my point in my career, you know, what I want to do, I've always liked connecting people and, and helping and, and telling stories and getting other people to tell stories and all the rest of it. Um, and at this point, like I said, I'm, you know, I haven't got the energy to, you know, start a SaaS platform um, and build that team of, uh, you know, 100 programmers and stuff. And I think there's you know, other people that have got brilliant ideas and, and will be doing that. And, why I'm doing this now is I think I've found my niche. I've got, you know, contacts that I can bring in some big names um, so that, you know, people are drawn to the events and things, but also give new speakers an opportunity and a stage and an audience where people are going to be there because of the other people that are there as well. And yeah, really, I think um, conferences and email expert.com platform itself is just an awesome opportunity to make the best use of my skills and try and, um, yeah, move more into the shadows and help other people. Yeah, tell the story, and that's really what I want to do. So I really enjoy, yeah, coming on the show and talking to you, and I, you know, love talking on stage. But I'm finding more and more often, you know, when someone's asking me, you know, will you do this? I'm like, would you think about her or her or him? Because, um, you know, they've, they've got a lot to add on this subject at the moment. I really need to promote Inbox Expo. We really need as much support as possible. So my boss has told me that you will do every show that somebody invites you to. But it was a, a special honor to be invited here. Favorite industry people? That's a crazy question. I get shot if I um, – there, there's so many. So the, the first answer is go to the site and see everyone that's spoken this year and last year because those, you know, they are all friends and, and they are all people that I have a huge debt of gratitude to. It would be way easier for you to – Ask me a question like, like, who do you prefer to get drunk with? Who's your favorite person to <laughs> coffee with? Who's your favorite person to fly with? Alyssa from Adobe is the best person to have as a surprise passenger next to you on a plane. So she sought me out one day on a flight. I'm not sure if it was from Europe to the US. And she's like, I heard um, you, you're Andrew Brown. I'm the deliberately guy. Yeah, I'm the deliberately guy from um, Adobe. And let's change seats and chat. And it was, yeah, the most amazing chat she's so personable so lovely and yeah what would have been a very boring eight hour flight was um yeah, a lot of fun best person for having a natter with is elliot ross from taxi for email so no alcohol uh -huh. nothing needed um just good natter elliot ross people that i love listening to i love listening to you just had her on your show actually or Meyer. yeah oh cat or cat and Kath Pei, I love listening to. Um, did you have Kath Pei on your show? Yeah, yeah, she was here uh, episode five. Okay, cool. So yeah, Kath Pei, I love listening to. I love listening to Laura Meyer. Really, I'm going to you know, refer back to all of those people that yeah speak to, to for us. And then there's other people. And, and no, that's not fair because I've got some people that just won't speak and don't speak and stuff. Um, Heather Noonan Hargroves is head of deliverability at Campaign Monitor. She joined the team as possibly support. Um, and when I was leaving Campaign Monitor, I was like, you know, if you want, you know, my bets on, you know, who should be 
filling the role of delivery, it's definitely Heather. And she's one of my favorite people because um, I know what she's done with the team. Um, I know the people around her um, love her and she, yeah, she's very similar to me and exposes herself way too much. And I'm hoping one day she'll um, want to, to, to speak. Um, in the meantime, yeah, she's um, currently one of my favorite people in email, um, Heather. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's um, yeah, every day. And Tom Blaliven, uh, I don't know if I've got his name right or not, but Tom, for whatever reason, has decided to um, sacrifice a significant portion of his life in, in helping me. So he's helped me with um, some awesome content on the site. But yeah, more recently, he's um, turned around and created a whole Dutch day within Inbox Expo. So there's going to be a whole stream of speakers and an entire day delivered in Dutch, um, hasn't asked for a penny for his time, um, declined to be an affiliate, just said he wants to do it to help. So Tom, best buddies right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> who is um, going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be hearing about a lot more about in this year. She took a little bit of time off because she got married and had a baby, but she was um, at Marketing Land and Martech for that. She was um, uh, one of their top editors and writers and things. And she's joined our team and I'm super, super stoked about that. And I know that, um, yeah, we're going to do some brilliant things with um, Jennifer Cannon. So yeah, follow her on Twitter. Oh, she, yeah, we, I've known Jennifer actually. We did, uh, in the very beginning of Conan, you'll love this cast. It was me, Skip Fedura, Jen Cannon, uh, Emily McGuire, and Elliot Ross. <laughs> we okay. did a little panel. That's, 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 right. that's um, a good guy to get messed up with, but just make sure there's no cameras around. But yeah, <laughs> definitely one of my favorite place persons, people to get messy with. Because yeah, he um, no rules, um, no rules with um, skips. So yeah, fantastic character. All right, awesome. All right, I think we're pretty much out of time. So I'll just give you a, a window for your final thoughts. Um, you can free freestyle. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really keen to yeah, find out more about what you're doing and stuff. And to be honest, my thoughts, thanks for anyone who's bothered to stay till the end. I'm not sure who wants to listen to me. Uh, um, but yeah, I hope there's been some value there. If there's anything that I can do for anyone, um, you know, I'm, I'm in that stage where I, I want to pay it forward, um, pay it back. Um, email's been really, really good to me. I would wouldn't have got to where I am without people. Um, there's too many to mention. Yeah, I, I don't want to. If I start saying that, then it's name. It sounds like uh, you're winning an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, um, but if I can help you, or you see something that I'm doing, and you're like, hold on a minute, and you know, five, five minutes or something, you can, you can. So if there's something that we're doing, um, and you want to be there, you know, it, it's not based on people spending money with us. If you, if you want to share content, if you want us to share your content on, on the site or otherwise, you want to get your business listed. You know, if you're in the email space, something somewhere where we're, that we're doing, you know, we have got an opportunity for trying to, you know, promote and and your message so yeah just reach out to me because yeah we're open to that and yeah just want to try and help this point um uh, and really, really really appreciate that. that and the only other thing is if you know the only payback i'm wanting is, is more delegates to um inbox expo so if you can expense it um or charge it back to the business it's a perfectly legitimate business expense to um here at inbox you know to come to inbox expo if you can't then reach out to me because nobody's not coming because they can't afford a ticket. So, you know, we will look after you, um, reach out to us. I'm hoping most people can yeah, expense this and, and try and keep the lights on a little bit longer. 
All right, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andrew. You've been a fantastic guest. And um, um, last thing, my partner's just wait. Um, for your guests for the next 24 hours, Hillel 50, Hillel in capitals, 50% of all prices. Uh, all right. All right, I really appreciate that. Well, uh, I'll put that in the Facebook post after this also. I have Facebook and LinkedIn, so look for that. And okay. you can reshare it. All right. Have a great one. You know. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's our that's our episode for today. Uh, I've been Hillberg. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Till next time. Bye.